Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. Today we're going to start off with a recipe for buffalo chicken cob salad from smittenkitchen.com. Earlier this summer, I made what I thought was just a dinner salad that turned out to be my new favorite dinner salad of all time, and it was literally all I could talk about for the next few weeks. Incessantly. Insufferably. I didn't even wait to ask if you're into buffalo wings. Of course you are. Cobb salads. You could be, I can just tell. Or looking for a dinner idea. It's just not who I am. Perhaps even less surprising was realizing I have very strong opinions about how to adapt the idea of buffalo wings to things that are not buffalo wings, which means I'm about to break down my favorite parts of this. First, the lightness. I find buffalo wings to be as unheavy as fried chicken wings dipped in a buttery hot sauce and then dipped again in blue cheese ranch dressing can be. It's because they're not breaded. The crisp is from the skin itself, and for the purposes of this salad, you could definitely use a crispy breaded chicken cutlet if you'd like. However, I was completely happy with grilled chicken thighs. Next, the dressing twofer. Buffalo sauce is a buttery hot sauce mixture that's piercing and thin. The creamy dressing is ranch-like and thicker. For me, the interplay of these two textures and flavors is everything, so this salad had to have two dressings versus just mixing them together. Next, the blue cheese-less blue cheese. I adore blue cheese dressing, but my weird take on it is that I prefer the blue cheese outside the dressing. If not, I end up having a eating the whole pint of ice cream just to dig for the cookie dough nuggets experience with it, which I insist is a universal one. (laughs) Sprinkling blue cheese over allows every bite to have some without smothering everything in any more dressing than I crave. So then there's everything else. Carrots and celery are essential when it comes to buffalo wings, in my opinion, not just plate garnishes. From there, I added more chunky vegetables, cucumbers, peppers, tomatoes, diced red onion that work well with these flavors and just enough leafy greens to fill it out. Salad bar style. I serve everything unassembled because it allows everyone at the table to make their salad with the ingredient balance of their dreams, including those that don't want chicken or blue cheese, and that means more for me, or even buffalo sauce. Plus, the leftovers keep fantastically dressings in their own jars, lettuce in a bag, vegetables in a container since they're unmixed. Do I overthink these things a little or do I obsess exactly enough? I hope you'll try it and find out. Here's the recipe, buffalo chicken cob salad. Serves four to six, takes one hour, and the source is right here at Smitten Kitchen. For the creamy dressing, you'll need one half cup of buttermilk, shaken, one half cup of mayonnaise, juice of half a lemon, that's about one and a half tablespoons, one quarter teaspoon of Worcestershire sauce, one small garlic clove minced, one quarter teaspoon of kosher salt plus more to taste, many grinds of black pepper, one quarter cup of minced fresh chives divided. For the buffalo sauce, you'll need six tablespoons of hot sauce, ideally Frank's, four tablespoons of melted butter. 
For the salad and assembly, you'll need six to six and a half cups of diced fresh vegetables, such as celery, carrots, bell pepper, cucumber, and tomatoes. You'll need one cup of diced red onion from one small red onion, four to six ounces of diced blue cheese, such as Danish blue, four to five ounces of romaine or baby gem lettuce, sliced or torn, and one pound of boneless chicken thighs, grilled and sliced, ideally still warm. Make creamy dressing. You're going to whisk everything to combine and add half or two tablespoons of the minced chives. Taste adjust the ingredients, such as salt and pepper, as needed. Then you're going to make the buffalo sauce. You're going to whisk the butter and the hot sauce to combine and set aside. To serve, you arrange the vegetables, onion, and blue cheese on a large platter. Place lettuce in a large bowl. I like to keep the chicken separate just in case someone doesn't eat it. And to assemble, place some lettuce on a plate, followed by chicken. Add all the vegetables, onion, and cheese that you like, and then drizzle with creamy dressing, followed by buffalo sauce. Garnish with the remaining chives. As far as notes, you could definitely omit the chicken here and still have an amazing salad. Diced firm tofu would be great too, or you could grill it in strips. Use any vegetables you like here, but if you're curious, I used one and a half cups of celery from two large ribs, 1.5 cups of carrots from three slim carrots, about six ounces total, one cup of yellow pepper from one large, and 1.5 cups of cucumber from 1.5 Persian or small cucumbers, about five ounces, and one cup of diced tomatoes from larger cherry tomatoes. Our next recipe is for a spring asparagus galette. I know it's too early for asparagus, at least in New York, but I'm tired of waiting. A feeling that both encapsulates my cooking right now and my mood about I don't know everything. I'm sure I'm not alone in being ready for summer, for outside, for all of my friends to get vaccinated, for my kids to live uh, lives to normalize so they can be off screens all day. And I know you do not get things by stamping your feet and demanding them. I may have tried. But if there's one thing on this list we can safely take on advance, it's spring vegetables. Grocery store asparagus is lovely and here for us until the freshly plucked green market stuff emerges, and I say we embrace it with abandon. This galette has been several years in the making. Every spring I take a couple of stabs at asparagus galettes, but have rejected each because they were too woody, soft, discolored, and are too much work. Poaching and water baths or roasting and chopping, and just no. If we're going to make a homemade crust, and if you do, the payoff here is immense, I want everything else to be as effortless as possible. After all of that trial and error, I found the perfect technique in the zucchini and ricotta galette in the archives. Salting and draining sliced asparagus softens it enough that it can finish cooking to a perfect crisp tenderness in the oven without discoloring. A mixture of cheeses, lemon, and garlic makes an unassuming seeming base that in the oven exceeds its potential, bubbling up and locking down the asparagus on top and sharply flavoring everything. This is fantastic warm or at room temperature and it keeps well in the fridge for up to a week. You will not regret making two.
Here is the recipe, spring asparagus galette. This serves eight, it takes 45 minutes plus chilling time, and the source is here at the Smitten Kitchen. Of course you can use a store-bought pie crust instead. The unroll and bake ones are the way to go here, but I promise this dough is so easy you'll be glad you tried it. Puffed pastry can work too, but don't hold pleats so you'll want to make four of a flat tart. I replace one half cup of the all-purpose flour here with whole wheat flour. For the crust, you need one and a half cups of all-purpose flour, one quarter teaspoon of fine sea salt, eight tablespoons of cold unsalted butter cut into pieces, one quarter cup of plain yogurt or sour cream, three to four tablespoons of cold water. For the filling, you'll need one pound of asparagus, kosher salt, one half cup of ricotta cheese, one half cup of grated gruyere, comte or gouda cheese, one quarter cup of grated parmesan or pecorino cheese, one garlic clove minced, red pepper flakes or freshly ground black pepper, one tablespoon of olive oil, and finely grated zest of one lemon. One large egg or egg yolk, this is optional, for shine. So to make the crust, you're going to combine the flour and salt in a large bowl, sprinkle the butter over the dough, and using a pastry blender or your fingertips, work it into the flour until the mixture resembles small peas. Sprinkle sour cream and three tablespoons of water over the mixture and stir or mash it together to combine. It should form large clumps. Add the last tablespoon of water if it does not. Use your hands to bring it together into a single mass. Transfer the dough to a large square of parchment paper, patting it into a flatter packet, and wrap it tightly, chilling it in the fridge until firm, one to two hours, or up to four days. You can hasten the firming process along in the freezer for about 20 minutes. As far as making the filling, you're going to hold the asparagus by the tough end, there's no need to snap it off, and cut the tips into one-inch segments and the rest of the spears into very thin slices on a sharp angle. In a large bowl, toss with one teaspoon of kosher salt and set aside for 30 minutes. In a small bowl, combine the ricotta, gruyere, parmesan, garlic, pinch of salt, and pepper to taste and then set aside. You're going to drain the asparagus in the colander and pat it dry on paper towels. Return it to the empty bowl and toss with olive oil, lemon zest, and pepper to taste. There's no need to salt it because it will be well seasoned from the salting step. To assemble the galette, you're going to heat your oven to 400 degrees Fahrenheit and unwrap the firm crust dough and line a large baking sheet with the parchment paper that it was wrapped in. On a floured counter, roll the dough out into a large roundish shape about 14 inches across. Gently transfer it to the parchment paper in the pan. Spread the ricotta mixture over the center, leaving a 3-inch border bare. Spoon asparagus over the ricotta layer, and then fold the border over the filling, pleating the edge to make it fit. The center will be open. For a darker, glossier crust, beat an egg or just a yolk with one teaspoon of water and brush it over the crust. Then you're going to bake the galette for 30 to 35 minutes until the crust is deeply golden and then serve warm in wedges.
As far as doing ahead, this galette keeps in the fridge for up to one week. It's good at room temperature, but even better warm, so the cheese is all stretchy again. Oh, yum. All right, our next recipe. Hello, lobster rolls. Alex and I have kind of a thing for Maine after going to Portland a few years ago and becoming instantly smitten. The weathered barns, the hand-painted signs, wild blueberries, and, well, you know, the lobster aplenty. And so, with our anniversary approaching and the looming deadline of baby, 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 we decided to head back to Kennebunkport for a long weekend later this month. Except, somewhere along the way, I got really, really pregnant. It's funny how these things happen. I mean, like, super pregs. I mean, staggering bursts of productivity. The doorways have been detailed, followed by four-hour recovery periods. This whole thing is exhausting. And suddenly, the thought of a six-hour drive each way, a mere three weeks before due date, I'm not buying, seemed ill-planned. Thus, we've decided to postpone our trip until a hopefully less waddlesome time. But I promise this wasn't supposed to be a bummer of a story. To celebrate old man Alex's 35th birthday, it seemed only fitting that if we couldn't bring ourselves to Maine, we'd simply lure it back here. I turned to Rebecca Charles's, she of the Pearl Oyster Bar in the village, lobster rolls and blueberry pie for inspiration. And oh, this is a great one for people who share our main crush. In it, Charles recounts her family's summer trips to New England, uh, the roots of her obsession with her summary fare, and of course, a tartar slaw. And she bears the secret to her lobster rolls, the ones that put them on the New York map. Heaps of the freshest shellfish and barely any clutter from extra ingredients, all on a buttery toasted bun. Along with the blueberry slab pie, pasta salad, potato salad, wheels of buttered bicolor corn, and enough delicious beer to make this temporarily sober girl weep with envy, we couldn't put out these miniature lobster rolls fast enough at Alex's birthday party over the weekend. And can I heartily recommend you have your own main party this summer? It was so much more fun than gathering in a bar or poorly lit restaurant. It wasn't a half-bad consolation prize for missing out on the real deal this summer. So here's the recipe for the lobster rolls, adapted from lobster rolls and a blueberry pie. The secret to this lobster salad roll is the lack of clutter. Just a smidgen of the lemon, celery, chives, and mayo to heaps of fresh chunked lobster meat. This is also what makes it such a hit. Once you've gone through all of that effort and or expense to get good lobsters, why hide their taste? Yield at the Pearl Oyster Bar, they use this recipe to make two lobster rolls, which are served on toasted hot dog buns. We used it to make 64 miniature rolls from a double batch of light brioche burger buns. Each bun can be made from just about an ounce of dough. The buns will be a quarter the size of the regular recipe. You'll need two pounds of cooked lobster meat, chopped roughly into one-half and three-quarter inch pieces, one small celery rib, finely chopped, one quarter cup of mayonnaise, Charles insists on Hellman's, I didn't argue, a squeeze or two of lemon juice, pinch of kosher salt and freshly ground black pepper, two top-loading hot dog, dog buns or 64 miniature burger buns described above, 
or small dinner rolls. You'll need some unsalted butter, snipped fresh chives for garnish, but we mixed ours right into the salad for convenience. In a large bowl, combine the lobster meat, celery, mayonnaise, lemon and salt, and pepper, and mix thoroughly. And then you're going to adjust the seasonings to taste. As far as doing ahead, you can cover the mixture and store it in the refrigerator until ready to serve. It will last for up to two days. And how they prepare the buns at the restaurant in a small saute pan over low to medium heat, melt two teaspoons of butter and place the hot dog buns on their sides in the butter. Flip the buns a couple of times so that both sides soak up an equal amount of butter and then brown evenly. Remove the buns from the pan and place them on a large plate. Fill the toasted buns with a lobster salad. So how we prepared our miniature rolls. On large roasting pans, we split each of our rolls and lightly toasted them open side up before quickly slathering both sides with butter and filling each with a generous tablespoon of lobster salad. Sprinkle your rolls with chives and serve with a salad, slaw, or shoestring fries. We bought our lobster meat cooked that morning and shelled from the lobster place, for those of you who are going to ask. However, not all markets are as trustworthy when it comes to lobster meat that they label fresh. It's often overcooked and not as recently rendered as they promise. If you're up for it, cooking and cracking your own will ensure freshness while reducing your grocery tab. About 20% of the weight of a lobster is its meat, so you wouldn't need, or you would need, for example, five one-pound lobsters to get one pound of meat. Don't panic, as I did, when you see how many, how tiny the mass of two pounds of lobster meat might look. Once it's diced, our salad nearly filled a six-cup bowl. So there you go. All right, our next recipe is going to be for summer squash soup. Uh, I find it funny how, in, with my obvious fascination with stirring up soups aplenty, that a couple years ago, I didn't care for them at all. Everything about the taste of vegetables boiled in flavored water until their structures compromised made my stomach turn, and to this day, even the liveliest minestrone invokes a bad memory of flavor-sapped herbs and formless noodles. Even those that came close to passing mustard were so laden with salt I'd find myself aching for a glass of water after a bowl of something that was supposed to be soothing. I think the turning point came with the immersion blender from our wedding registry. In one minute flat, it converts everything in the pot into a velvety consomme, bridging the disparity between ingredients. No, I don't want to hang out with the icky squash, whines the orange flesh potato, like a mother insisting her children play nicely together. No more alarming boiled vegetable flavor, no more awkward thin spaces between ingredients. With each spoonful the same as the last, I find these soups contemplative. A calm brought on by the knowledge that every spoonful will taste the same as the one before. The pesto, which I was as skeptical of as I had been of the lettuce pesto, really brightened up all the fall flavor and color with some spring, kind of like eating an orange soup on an 80-degree September day. To also note with two carrots, a sweet potato, and onions cooked in butter, this soup lends itself towards the sweet side of the palate, and I seasoned it a lot more than the recipe suggests to balance it. I also threw an extra scallion in the pistou to brighten it up. Finally, but not intentionally, I <clears throat> browned the butter before sautéing the onions. 
But you know what? That nutty taste was awesome and stayed with the soup till the end. Dreamy indeed. Here is the recipe for summer squash soup with parsley mint pistou. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. P-I-S-T-O-U. This is adapted from Gourmet September of 2006. And this serves eight. For the squash soup, you're going to need three quarters of a stick or six tablespoons of unsalted butter cut into pieces, one medium onion halved lengthwise and thinly sliced crosswise, one half teaspoon salt, two pounds of yellow summer squash halved and thinly sliced, two carrots thinly sliced, one yellow flesh potato, about a half a pound, peeled, halved, and thinly sliced, four cups of chicken stock or reduced sodium chicken broth. For the pistou, you'll need three quarters cup of loosely packed fresh mint leaves, one half cup of loosely packed flash flat leaf parsley sprigs, one large scallion chopped, it's about a half a cup, one quarter cup of extra virgin olive oil and two tablespoons of water and a quarter teaspoon salt. I looked up pistou to see what it was, and it's basically kind of like a basil um, pesto sauce, but without the pine nuts. In this case, it's got mint and parsley, and it just adds flavor to dishes. So to make the soup, you're going to melt butter in a nine, or excuse me, in a six to eight quart wide heavy pot over moderate heat, and then you're going to cook the onion with salt, stirring until softened about eight minutes. Add the squash, the carrots, potato, and stock, and bring to a boil. Reduce the heat, then simmer, partially covered, until the vegetables are very tender, about 20 minutes. Remove from the heat and cool soup. It'll be uncovered, and that takes about 10 minutes. So working in batches, you're going to puree the soup in a blender until smooth. Use caution when you're blending hot liquids, and transfer it back to the pot, or... You can use an immersion blender to do the job right inside the pot. Thin with water if if desired and simmer for three minutes more and then season with salt. Then make the pistou while vegetables simmer. You're going to pulse the mint, parsley, and scallion in a food processor until it's finely chopped. With the motor running, add oil in a stream and then add water and salt, blending until incorporated. To serve, swirl one tablespoon of the pistou into each bowl of soup. I did not, by the way, even once decide that pistou is an awesome word to say and even funnier name to call the person I live with. (laughs) Alrighty. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.